Welcome to the Nerd Normie Podcast. I'm a big film nerd, Everett. And I'm Emerald, and I'm engaged to a nerd. On this week's episode, we will be covering Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny, directed by James Mangold. We will also be covering Joyride, uh, directed by Adele Lim. For both of these movies, we will do non-spoilers and then move into spoilers, and there will be time codes down in the description. Enjoy! Dad told me you found something. On a train during the war. A dial that could change the course of history. Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny is the latest in the franchise. It stars Harrison Ford as Indiana Jones, uh, Mads Mikkelsen plays the villain, and Phoebe Waller-Bridge is in a prominent supporting role. Um, it's all directed by James Mangold, and... It's I, fine. <laughs> I haven't seen Crystal Skull in a while. I remember feeling very similarly walking out of Crystal Skull, where I went, well, there was a you know, couple moments that weren't bad, but overall, I will never watch that movie again, and I haven't watched that movie since I saw it in theaters. And I don't know that I will ever watch this one again. Yeah, um, I mean, I have never been much of an Indiana Jones fan. Um, my stepdad had me watch him when I was little and I haven't watched the rest since so for me this felt the same as watching any of the others whereas the original three I adore um they were they're like a very prominent memory for me my mom and sister went away for like a girl's weekend or something and my dad and I were home and he went out and bought the trilogy and we watched them together and I don't know, there's not too many movies that my dad likes to watch and stuff. Maybe the Bourne Trilogy if it's on TV. But other than that, like, we never really watched movies together that often. Um, and so I really... There's both an emotional attachment on that end, but also I think they're just really great movies. Um, and I really, really love that original three. Did not like the fourth. Uh, and then, yeah, this one, I think... For me, there I can see the argument where people go, oh, you know, it's just Indiana Jones, but it's updated. The action's bigger because they can do bigger set pieces now. There's more explosions. There's, you know, all of it looks more like a modern film. It's a bit, you know, everything's filmed at night instead of in the day in the desert and all of this stuff. And for me, yes, you can argue that it's just Indiana Jones, but updated. But CGI explosions, CGI stunt doubles, um, CGI planes and cars and cities and stuff just don't look as good as those original movies with actual stunt people and camera trickery pulling stuff off. And yeah, like the guy's face melting does not look like an actual guy's face melting. However, it looks really cool for that movie. And you just, you're missing all of that in this is everything has that like similar to the fourth movie it has that like glossy sheen where everything looks cgi even if it's not and there's something about new movies that are done that way that kind of like takes away from the adrenaline or like even i don't know i wasn't really even focused on it that much or enthralled by it because it was just 
everything was CGI. Yeah, and so, you know, I'm sure there's behind-the-scenes breakdowns that reveal, oh, they actually had a lot of these props, and we only replaced this bit. Or, yeah, it was all filmed on the day, but it had to get replaced in post, but they had great reference, so it looks so good. And I'm not saying it, like, looks awful. It's just when ev- it, Disney does this all the time and stuff, like, when everything looks like it could be CGI so that you don't see the seam between what was real on set and what wasn't, it just tells my brain, none of this is real. Don't be impressed by any of it. Not that, like, again, CGI can be really great. It's just not used in this film in a way to heighten a moment. It's just used to cover the fact that they don't want to come up with a way to do a sequence with actual stunt people and pay for having coordinators and yeah. figuring it all out they'll just pay for it in post yeah and like that's something that made like what was it top gun maverick so like exciting even though it was basically just a remake of the first one it was so it's a yeah top gun maverick such a simple story and yet you're on the edge of your seat the whole time because all of those shots look incredible yeah and so when they do this, it just takes you right out of the film. And it's just because like, I told him that I could never watch action movies with him because I get too excited and I scream the whole time. Uh, but like this one, I didn't even yeah. mind looking away from the screen. Like it was, I wish we would have watched it at home so I could have played a game on my phone while it was going on. Like it was <laughs> yeah. just a little boring. And I know that Harrison Ford is old. So doing that kind of you know stunt work is hard already but it was it was just rough and the de-aging was also a little bit rough like at first when he first came on i was like oh that's really good and then like two minutes in i was like oh this is really rough yeah they bit off more than they could chew with that um and then yeah also speaking to to harrison ford he doesn't give like a bad performance and you know we just watched him in shrinking he still is an incredible actor it's just I don't buy watching this 80-year-old man jumping around climbing stuff, beating up 15 soldiers. Like, that's just, it doesn't feel realistic. And then when you pair him next to Phoebe Waller-Bridge, who, again, very talented human being, not an action star, she looks almost more, like, uncoordinated and awkward than he does, and they try and make her this, like, action-adventure hero... I'm just like, you know, play to their strengths. Don't make, you know, you should have either casted someone next to him who can do the action stuff for him or tone this movie back. That's okay. He's old. Like, we'd all buy it. He can still do some stuff, but, like, you don't have to go all out. You don't have to. Yeah. I was going to give something away. I have to stop. (laughs) But, yeah, no, it was it was fine. As far as action movies go, it was middle tier for me. As far as I know what Harrison Ford can do as an actor, it was a little disappointing. Yeah. Um, Yeah, and it just... I don't know, it's very standard Indiana Jones. There's an opening action sequence. Though, I don't know, in my mind, those always, like only tangentially related to the overall movie they were more like a bond chase at the beginning that just like is a fun action moment and then the actual story kicks off um whereas this one was very tied to the to the film um maybe i'm just misremembering some of them but 
so it, it just opens on an action sequence and then we see Indiana Jones has to like you know he finds a thing and then there's another plot point to go to and somebody betrays him the bad guy shows up at every turn it's very standard we've seen it in every Indiana Jones movie that's ever come out every time he rounds a corner the bad guy has somehow found his way there or they have to figure out what this ancient text says and it tells them to go here and when they get there it tells them to go back east and then when they get east they have to go back west and you know it's standard stuff in that regard uh up until the third act and again all the indiana jones movies have had some amount of religious supernatural alien stuff going on the first and the third you had christian religion with ark of the covenant and the um holy grail in the second one you had the shikara stones in india uh and then in the last one you had uh, aliens in mesoamerica but then this one has the dial of destiny and instead of being this five to 20 minute sequence of something supernatural happening in an otherwise supposed to be grounded movie it lasts for the entire third act it's the only part of the third act yeah and it's so long it goes in my opinion just like too far it's supposed to be these little moments that show that there is something supernatural in the world for Indy to contend with and it's not all just about humans and there's a greater force out there uh this one does not I feel fit in with that and just goes so far into stupidity (laughs) yeah we'll talk about it more in spoilers but it's just and I knew it was coming because I you know it's hinted at in the trailers and the whole plot of the movie it kind of builds towards this so it's not that it didn't you know it came out of left field and i didn't know it was coming it's just it shouldn't have come (laughs) it shouldn't have or it shouldn't have in this manner it went too far and did too much um but yeah other than that it's an okay movie i'm sure lots of people will enjoy themselves at the theater yeah, we had a very cute audience with us. A dad came with his son and they both dressed like Indiana Jones and had the little hats on and stuff. And like, they seemed happy and excited. So I'm sure yeah. a lot of people will be like, yeah, loving it. But I think it could honestly end up a little bit like the Mario movie. It felt very cookie cutter and predictable and safe in a lot of ways. And then this one had a crazy third act. But, you know, audiences loved it critics not so much and i come at things a little more critical and you also just don't like those kind of big audience pleaser movies for young boys so (laughs) yeah not really my vibe (laughs) yeah so again you could argue this wasn't really for us but as a big indiana jones fan and a james mangold fan i was really hoping this would be a return to form But yeah, that concludes our thoughts on Indiana Jones Dial of Destiny. With no spoilers, we will now head into spoilers. Alright, spoilers for Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny. Um, We'll start at the beginning. It starts back in World War II. Mads Mikkelsen is a 
Nazi who's convinced the Dial of Destiny, or the Dial of what do they call it? The, the M Myth of Arc 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 they call it this thing. We're going to just call it the Dial of Destiny. The weird math thing that <laughs> yeah. makes you time travel. Yeah. And so he's convinced that this is what they need to be focusing on. But Hitler and the other people are like, nah, it's not that important. Uh, Indiana Jones ends up there and is trying to steal it. They realize they have a fake whatever. Stuff happens. They fight on a train in the most generic train action sequence. Yeah, my I told him if I have to sit through one more action movie where they have a fight scene on top of a train, I will walk out. We like bet. Mission Impossible coming out, <laughs> they show it in the trailer. Every sing- Sherlock Skyfall. Holmes, Skyfall, we Sherlock Holmes recently, everything. Yeah. Why do we have to do <laughs> the stupid train scene? It's dumb. Yeah, and this one is worse than most. They. It does not feel like they got a real train at any point in the sequence. It just feels like people on a green screen pretending and putting a big fan and pretending that they're riding on a train. And Yeah, and then they steal the thing from the Nazi, and the Nazi man gets full-on hereditary decapitated. Like, it... There is a huge bar of metal that sticks out, and he doesn't see it coming. They're going on a train doing, like, 60 miles an hour, and it whacks him straight in the face. And just completely clotheslines him in the head. And then he's fine. And then five minutes later in the film, it's like 50, 30 years later, whatever it is. And he has like a tiny scar. Also, his de-aging, the bad guy, Mads Mikkelsen, whatever, he looks really the same. But yeah, he looks Harrison Ford's age. When he's de-aged, he looks the same age when he's normal i do not believe that he aged alongside harrison ford harrison ford looks 80 because he is this man looks 50 forever through the whole thing i don't know it's just weird to me yeah um i don't know i thought they did a better job with his de-aging because it felt like they went final mads mickelson is maybe 60 pre mads mickelson is maybe 50 Indiana Jones, Indiana Jones is eighty, and they made him look like he's thirty-two, or tried to, and that's for me what the issue was. Whereas Mads Mikkelsen, like they just don't look like they should be paired together because yeah. they look different ages, is what I mean. Like he looks like he started at forty, ended at fifty, and Harrison Ford started as thirty and ended as a hundred. But yeah, and then we jump forward to the main timeline for the movie whatever year it is 60s 60s i think somewhere in there um post world war ii and he is still working as a professor he's now moved and teaches in is it new york city maybe i don't know yeah some big city pretty sure it was new york um and then there's that you've seen it in the trailers there's the action sequence in the city and this to me cemented like it opens and there's a big war scene and there's lots of explosions and way more going on than ever would have happened in the older indiana jones movies but again like it's a newer movie and you can do that so why wouldn't you but then we get to this sequence and he's in what can only be described as a completely cgi city because 1960s new york or wherever doesn't exist anymore He rides through awful CGI confetti down into the subway 
rides through the subway, has to jump out in front of some trains and stuff, and is trying to outrun trains on his horse, and happens to luck into there being a gap in the wall just at the right moment both times, and then hops back up, and, and all of this stuff. And I'm just like, and none of it is real, because Harrison Ford can't ride a horse through a subway anymore. That's definitely not happening. A horse is going to struggle to do those stunts, because it will slide around on its hooves and stuff. The, all the people look kind of fake because you can't have them almost get hit by a train or a horse and stuff like So everything just feels like it's composited into the scene by chunks and they film it in pieces. Whether they did or did not, I don't know. But it just, none of it felt realistic. Whereas the old Indiana Jones, like when he fights on top of a tank, they got a tank, they rode it through the desert, and they had people do stunt, fight on, stunt fights on top of it and hang off the side of it and, you know all of that kind of stuff uh so it just it feels lackluster because it all looks fake and none of it is believable anymore that an actual person could have done this if the camera was rolling on them yeah <clears throat> and also he gets like accused of murder double homicide whatever and then they do this entire thing and then they never talk about it again yeah, he has to, like, flee, and he's on the run and whatever, and, oh, my whole life is ruined, I'm accused of double homicide because of blah, 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 and it's just not a actual plot point, and I don't know why they bothered talking about it. Yeah, because, like, I get they could say at the end the Nazis did it, but they could have said that at the beginning, so it's just, I don't know. Yep, um, but then... I don't know, the middle of the movie is very just standard Indiana Jones, Antonio Banderas has a small role. That's and I fun. love him. Yeah. Um, they go diving and there's eels and they look really bad CGI and it's just like, oh, we don't want to do snakes again because Indiana Jones and snakes is so predictable, let's do eels this time. And it's literally like, you know, they're just sitting at the ocean all of a sudden there's a splash and the guy goes, oh yeah, by the way, it's all infested with eels. And it's like, well... We could just discover that when we go down, or like an old Indian Jones, instead of being attacked by snakes, the snakes were just there, and he had to get over his fear around yeah. them and not spook them. But in these, it's like there's a part where there's treasure, and they get to that part, and all the eels happen to be nesting right there where the treasure is, and, and then attack. attack him. Yeah, and it's it just it feels so forced and over the top. And that's kind of in general this whole movie feels that way apologies if you can hear our cat in the background once again um but then let's talk about the third act yeah they activate the dial of destiny mads mickelson's plan is to go back in time and kill hitler and, and take over the nazi hitler. party himself yeah. um and so they have the dial of destiny which was made by archimedes um, and if you turn it to a certain thing, it will predict where and when a fissure in time will occur, and you can use that to time travel. The issue here, it doesn't, it's supposed to be just be mathematics. It's pure mathematics. There's nothing supernatural about it. A, these are huge events that are very obvious in the sky. How has nobody ever seen one of these before? Like, there's huge glowing spots in the sky. And in the, like, 
timeline of the movie it's in a storm but when they travel back in time it's in broad daylight and so clearly they can happen in daylight when no storm is there and nobody's ever observed one and also if this guy invented this time travel thing and it was before planes existed how did he know that you'd need a plane to fly into one I don't know that he did know that. I mean, I feel like he did. Otherwise, how would they get there? Well, I, I don't know. Maybe they don't all open in the sky. Maybe. But anyway, this one does, and they have to fly a plane into it. Um, but also, it's not supposed to generate them. But anytime the plot needs one to be there, magically, it's right where they are. And oh, look at that. It's right there. Let's go fly into it. And then it's there. And oh, it's only going to last for as long as this plot scene like the scene happens and then it'll close oh no and it's like well it should have been you either needed it to generate something itself and go into that supernatural realm or have it be like a location that you can go through or something it's weird that it can predict when and where they will happen and it happens to choose the exact moment well no that they go through after and talk about the fact that it was always going to lead them back to there yeah, which, that's what, so yeah, it always is going to lead you back to when Sicily was invaded by the Romans, and Syracuse was attacked or whatever, and that's when Archimedes supposedly sent this off to go hide. Um, but it's always going to lead you back there, which again, how does he create a dial that predicts a random fissure event to always come back to his time, his yeah. exact, like... Maybe that's easier because it's only predicting the one. End, but it just, it feels very hand wavy stuff. Like and it's I, happening because it's in the plot. And again, <laughs> like that's not an issue. Why does the Nazi's face melt at the end of the first Indiana Jones? Because hand wavy, that's what happens when you open the Ark of the Covenant. But they don't try to explain it. They just say that's what happens. Why does the Holy Grail keep you alive? Because that's what happens. Why do the Shakara Stones help that village in india because that's what happens whereas in this one they try to make it seem like it's plausible and it's all mathematics and it's not supernatural and trust me this makes sense and then they try to wave their hands around all the logical gaps and i'm like you you this is a franchise that's built on just random supernatural events happening just let that be what happens um anyway so then they go and spend forever flying planes around during a war in the in ancient times and meet archimedes and have a conversation with him because indy's fluent in ancient greek and can speak it with no issues or having to look it up um and just speaks with archimedes for a while and then it's like no i've been shot leave me here i'm gonna stay with archimedes this is what i'm meant for which is weird and Which random. Which and... feels so out of character for him. Yeah. Um, and then Phoebe Waller-Bridge is like, no, no, no. And they spend 15 minutes arguing about whether or not Indy can say it. And then she just punches him, knocks him out, and brings him back. Yeah. Story Somehow. over. Yeah. And also, she has no character development in the whole movie. She's like a thief who's selling things and whatever. But she also has this secret little boyfriend who, sh- not boyfriend, but secret friend little boy, who's boy who is her <laughs> friend, who she like takes care of, I guess. But like, 
it doesn't fit in her character to already be like best friends with him and protective over him considering her whole character is that she doesn't care about anything and just wants to make money because money can't betray you or whatever and then she doesn't get better she's still trying to backstab people but then all of a sudden she's like no indy you can't leave i love you we're family yeah because he's her godfather and so yeah it's and they make a brief reference to Shia LaBeouf's mutt uh, that he died in war and stuff. But clearly they're trying to reboot that, but they're like, oh no, we already did a kid, so we'll do godparent and godchild. It's such a close bond. Yeah. Um, and it's just, it's, yeah. And I don't want to be rude. <clears throat> I don't want to be rude to that young actor. But, but he did not need to be in the movie. He is completely superfluous to everything. He slows down the pacing. They have to try and explain stuff with him. He magically is a pilot, despite being like 12, um, because some guy at a bar is like teaching him the concept of flying. Yeah. And so then he can and all of this stuff. And it's just like, and he's just not good. Like, Again, he's not written well. He's being given a very hard role to fill because it is very much just like, oh, no, we want a young sidekick, like, short round. Let's throw a kid in there. But he it, it just he doesn't have work. if he he doesn't have the young cuteness of like a child you want to keep alive. Yeah, because he's in his like early teens, probably. Yeah. But he doesn't have, like, the acting chops, really. I don't know if it's his acting or the character written for him. He could be a really great actor. But I just don't think this was the part to showcase that. It's just, like, you're just wondering why he's there the whole time. Yeah, it's a little... It reminds me a lot of... um, And I'm blanking on his name again. But uh, the guy who played Anakin in Star Wars Episode One, Not really the kid's fault he's a kid he doesn't have a ton of acting experience and you're being put on this huge budget movie with a lot of pressure on it and all these stars around you and you're the weakest link by virtue of not having you know decades of acting experience under your belt but also not being like the cutest little five-year-old you've ever seen like it's just it doesn't work yeah um yeah that's that's kind of my my thoughts on it um what would you give it out of 10 um probably a five or maybe a six probably a five i'm gonna go lower because of my personal wanting this movie to be better and i'm just gonna give it a three there's no part of me that wants to watch this again so but yeah that's our thoughts on indiana jones and dial of destiny but i've been looking for this all my life All right, uh, for my pick this week, I chose joyride uh, yeah this is directed by adele lim um, it stars Ashley Park, Stephanie Sue, Sherry Cola, and Sabrina Wu as the four main people. Um, and it was probably not the best choice for a movie for us. 
just because raunchy comedies aren't really our thing, he's a prude and <laughs> I <laughs> I just it's not really my thing. Um I want to say that I liked it, but I just it just went too far for me in a lot of aspects. There's a lot of pieces to admire about this movie. The four main girls fantastic fantastic like i love ashley park um she was in uh emily in paris and i saw her in that and though i didn't like that tv show i wanted to see more of her and i was a little scared that since that was the show she was in that she wouldn't get cast in a lot of other stuff but i'm glad like we saw her in beef as well as this movie joyride and she's so darling and i just i really like her and i'm glad to see she's in more things obviously um the daughter from everything everywhere all at once we loved that movie so it was nice to see her in something else i really liked stephanie Wu's character yeah. i thought she played that, that was perfectly. the standout of the movie for me yeah stephanie Wu was the shining light of this film and the only thing coming out of it that i'm like i I enjoyed. Yeah, I wish they from wouldn't start to finish. I wish they would have not used that character in this movie because I think that that's such a good character and I'd love to see her in something else. But I would not watch this movie again. Um, and then Sherry Cola played the part that she was given very well. Um, like I, I feel like her character didn't have that many moments really. Yeah, I think there's... And she was the raunchiest one, so it's a little hard for us. (laughs) Yeah. There's kind of two things for me with this movie. One, tonally, it goes from being full-on, like, the raunchiest comedy you've heard of and seen, like, full Seth Rogen-style, what we thought No Hard Feelings was going to be, to then suddenly supposed to be this emotional movie about friendship and adoption and finding your true self and like moments of crying and like you're supposed to feel that and then it jumps right back into aggressive raunchy comedy and so that was hard to balance because unlike no hard feelings which really pulled back on the comedy and so the drama succeeded this one wasn't willing to do that and therefore it didn't it just none of the drama really landed as well as it could have again it's not supposed to be a drama it's supposed to be a raunchy comedy so fair enough but it's also like well then maybe you should have not gone for such an emotional story because now it feels out of place in this film um and then the other thing for me is it's a very confusing message on friendship because it seems to be saying the really obnoxious friend who's taking everything from the other friend and fully living off of them in many ways but trying to be free is in the right and you're supposed to live your life free but at the same time they're trying to say well you know but also you do have to be respectful of your friend and i'm just like i'm not sure where it landed on all of that because in the end everybody ends up apologizing to each other which maybe that's the point is that we're all who we are and 
you don't have to apologize. I don't know. But I spent a large portion of this movie, and we'll talk more in spoilers, really not liking one of the characters and finding them to be the problem. And then we spent most of the third act apologizing to that character. Yeah. And I just felt like, no, they need to stop being the problem. And yeah, they might think they're helping, but they're really being annoying. And if that was my friend, I would be so mad at them. Yeah, especially because they don't change their behavior. Like, they do something to cause an issue without telling the main girl. And then they get in a fight about not telling them. And then they keep doing that even after they're, like, not friends anymore or whatever. You know, it's just, it's yeah. obviously hard to talk about if we're not talking about spoilers, but like. But yeah, for me, the main issues are just, it's tonally inconsistent and the characters don't follow logic and make sense to me. Yeah. And just don't fit with how I would react. And that's, to me, a test is like, in a, if a character's in a situation, even if it's not what I would have done, does it make sense to the character to make that decision? And I'm not sure that always happens in this movie. Yeah. And also, so a lot of, like, the raunchy comedies, like, Seth Rogen-type comedies, whatever, often would be okay for, like, middle school, high schoolers, whatever. Like, yes, they swear occasionally there might be nudity or something, but overall it's, like, manageable, I feel like. I would... It's the stuff that, you know, you watch a movie and then... You all of you end up talking in college, and you're like, "Oh my god, I watched that!" And like, I was way too young to watch it. I can't believe my parents let me see it. But oh my god, that one moment blew my mind. It was so funny and so gross. Yeah, but this one, I, it's hard because like I feel like a lot of the Seth Rogen type raunchy comedies, sorry, are made for, are made for younger audiences almost. Like not younger audiences, obviously, but like teens. High school stars. Yeah. But this one, you cannot watch, I feel like. I would never let my kid watch this, you know? Like, it's definitely for adults, but the comedy is so, like, middle school comedy. So it's just like, yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I think it's, it's got a lot of pieces that work. I think it's a very confusing movie that doesn't know what it wants to do, and because of that it doesn't fully execute on any of the genres it's trying to tackle yeah i agree all right we'll move into spoilers now okay um so yeah the main girl ashley park she is adopted by white people and lives in america and she grows up her whole life thinking that she's chinese but when they get to china she finds out she's actually korean her mom's her birth mother's dead then they become friends again that's the plot of the movie (laughs) but the nuance of the movie is just sex the whole time it's and not just like raunchy comedy sex like it's gross it's all they talk about yeah there's no conversation that they're not talking about uh, sex honestly it ironically in a movie entirely led by a female cast it may not pass the Bechtel test in which women have a conversation not about men yeah and that to me is kind of one of the bigger failings of this movie I am not against movies that allow women to fulfill that role because there are tons of movies about men being really gross about sex and talking about it all the time and fair enough that there should be these types of movies with women 
However, this didn't feel like the movie to do that in because they're trying to tackle so many other messages and it just undermines all of these characters. Especially because Sherry Cola's character is an artist who does like kind of pornographic art as a way to like do body positivity and start the conversation about how Asian women are over sexualized and like kind of reclaiming that. But then the whole movie, <laughs> all she talks about is wanting to sleep with people and or being hot. She's like, yeah. Oh my gosh, they're so hot. I want to sleep with them. And it's like, well, I like I get it they're attractive and so you're attracted to them but at the same time your whole supposedly good undercore the shining beacon of who you are as a character that's revealed like in the third act they have this big talk with each other they're like no it's so amazing the artwork you do we're so proud of you for it but it's like she doesn't actually honor that message yeah she's just looking for the most attractive guy she can find yeah and then moment. um the character who plays an actress <clears throat> so stephanie sue she plays an actress and her message is basically you can turn a hoe into a housewife that's like her whole thing is that she used to sleep around and had a really high sex drive. Fine, good for you, whatever. But then she lies to a man for three years, gets engaged, and is telling him that she's never had sex or anything. And then they just kind of skim past that. And he's like, no, I still love you. It's okay. And then they get married, I guess. But, like, she also cheats on him while they're on the... Like, technically she doesn't, but she for sure does. You yeah. know? Like... Yeah, there it's and the reason she's like lying to him and stuff is because he's extremely religious and it's a huge part of who he is and I like how he identifies and there's no scene in which we find out oh that was a lie because he thought that's what she was like or something or why he's doing it. Yeah, he just, it just was like okay, it's fine. It's like oh no, okay, I've you know spent my entire life believing in these guiding principles, but you just told me that you slept with people and it took you three hours to list all of their names for me. I'm gonna now sleep with you. And it's like, what? Why? Yeah, what? and it's like, if your message is you can turn a hoe into a housewife and someone who's been promiscuous in college is someone who's viable for a wife, who I, that is a great message. I think that is something that more movies should include. But then having her, like, cheat and be icky and lie the whole time, it's just weird. It yeah. doesn't make sense. And it's, it's the type of movie that, like... It both wants to show you these positive messages about characters, but then it also at the same time doesn't want to have any actual consequences if these characters betray those messages. And so the only character in the entire movie, I would say, who is consistent throughout is Sabrina Wu. Yeah. And And we love her. Yeah. (laughs) Like, they're the best character in the entire movie. They're funny and consistent and just they made charming and yeah they made every scene that they're in like him and i smiled at each other the whole time when they're in a scene because they made it so they made the movie bearable if they weren't in it i don't know if this is a movie that would even rate positively at all like it's yeah yeah and so ashley park is also like because she was um an asian born or adopted by white 
parents and stuff and was has all these racist remarks made about her and stuff her whole life has pushed herself to be a perfectionist and is now a lawyer in a all-male law firm and is going being sent to china for very racist reasons to go close a deal with a guy in china um and then all of this whatever and the entire time leading up to the departure of the trip sherry cola is like oh this doesn't matter whatever blah 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 and ashley park is like okay i know this isn't necessarily what i want to be doing but if i close this deal i make partner i get to move to la by one of my other best friends i get to start a new chapter of my life i'll be financially set for a huge amount of time like this is what i want to do and instead of ever having that conversation like yeah it's maybe what you want to do but could you find another avenue where you don't have to work for these awful guys or whatever or what else can we do cherry cola is just the entire movie throwing up roadblocks whining like a toddler being so inconsiderate and lives in ashley park's garage and completely mooches off of her and just does nothing doesn't like have a job or do anything and is consistently so obnoxious and so rude unhelpful mean negative like yeah yeah. and ashley park's like okay hey you're coming because you speak some you speak pretty fluent Chinese I need a translator we're gonna meet my friend over there it's gonna be great we're gonna go to this party or whatever and the whole time she's like yeah but what if we just blew off work and went and partied what if instead of doing work we didn't she's like no this is a work trip I'm bringing you because this is a work trip and you agreed to come because this is a work trip and And then she invites her cousin my cousin's coming but just for the plane and then get off the plane oh no my cousin's staying with us for this long my cousin's staying with us this long and again Sabrina Wu is the best part of the movie so I'm not complaining that she ends up staying there but oh my word I would have punched Sherry Cola in the face before we even boarded the plane and never talked to her again. She is so annoying and does not deserve to be on this trip. And then she reaches out to her birth mother without permission, like does all this stuff without permission. Like Ashley Parks consistently getting upset with her for doing all this. And then at the end, Ashley Parks spends the entire third act apologizing to her. Yeah. And again, like not that Ashley Park was perfect through the movie. She is revealed to be like kind of racist against asian culture because of what she's heard about it living in america and you know they're on a train and they go and there's these two like dirtyish looking guys in a cabin she's like oh no i don't want to sit by them they're you know peeling oranges and whatever that's weird and it's like okay whatever don't want to sit with two males so but she then sits with the only white person on the train yeah. and then like she also passes up an opportunity to just sit with like an old couple that are cute and sweet looking and she's like oh no you know they're probably whatever and then there's a very clearly on drugs drug dealer crazy lady but she's white so she's like oh no we're gonna live with her and the lady's basically through not saying i'm a drug dealer for legal reasons saying i'm a drug dealer in china and it's great because you can do whatever you want and all of the other people are like oh my god we're in cabin with a drug dealer and ashley park's like oh my gosh she's so great this is so fun um, clearly just because she's white and Ashley Park feels more comfortable around that growing up with white parents. Um, but then that leads to a whole sequence of doing literally 50 pounds of cocaine. Yeah. So much cocaine and, and pills they, like, and don't actually act that on drugs. Yeah, no, they're fine. And then they, so maybe have... they all do it all the time. And there's a lot of putting it in parts of your body and, they make it a whole thing that Stephanie Sue's character that turns her on and we've got to watch 
that for an extended period yeah. of time. And then they have like a night where they're all at a hotel and they all have individual sex scenes except for Sabrina Wu, our, our saving Who guiding light. Who just K-pop light. dances with one of the basketball players and yeah. they have a great time. <laughs> but everyone else is doing gross stuff and it's too much. And we're not even going to talk about the tattoo. If you've seen it, you know what tattoo we're talking about. And it's really gross and it was unnecessary and I didn't have to see it from yep. the inside either. Yeah. It way, it's too far. It's, I don't, there's been a lot of that kind of stuff, I think, in movies in the last five years, both male and female. Yeah. Natalia being graphically... And it's like, whatever, I guess show full frontal nudity if you have to. But it doesn't at all (laughs) fit into the story, and it's just weird. Yeah, and then to show it from the inside is just a lot to handle. And it's, again, there's a moment in the latest season of The Boys where, like, a guy goes inside another guy and stuff. And I'm just like, why has this become a thing to do? Is it because suddenly, like, the rating people no longer consider that to be not acceptable for r-rated stuff or whatever have they changed their minds is it is there some reason i'm hoping that it's just like somebody did it got away with it so now everyone's doing it and in five years we'll have forgotten that that this was a fad and it will stop showing up in things yeah i think it's because like a lot of the things are like it they're like if we don't push it to a further limit like then it won't ever be remembered but I wouldn't watch it again because of that. Yeah, it's too much. It is way too much. And maybe we are just prudes, but it was just... Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. And I think if you find that funny, great, happy for you, enjoy this movie, I will not be watching it with you. Yep. And also, like, to speak a little bit more about it, the scene happens, so... Once again, Sabrina Wu, coming in clutch, has some K-pop fans, and they come through for her, and they're going to get a private jet down to Seoul and whatever, and it's all going to be great. And then Stephanie Sue gets her skirt stepped on and ripped off, and then we have this horrible moment or whatever, and this video goes viral of them doing this because of Sherry Cola deciding to live stream it. Um, and it just, like... All that does is redirect them from taking the private plane down to Seoul to a 30-second sequence of sitting on a boat and then a truck, yeah. Yeah, a cargo carrier and taking a truck down to Seoul. And it's like, all you did was undermine a great moment for Sabrina Wu's character who's been trying to be seen and feel connected in this entire movie and has been failing. She finally has a big win and a success, and you just take it away from her to have 30 seconds of not anything just logistical they have to get from place to place like scenes and then it never like really i guess it kind of ruined her career but in the end she still gets everything she wanted yeah it's just it's just yuck for the sake of yuck yeah and it just it didn't need to be there and it undermined it and then as we've mentioned in the third act Everyone apologizes for the wrong reasons to the wrong people, and nobody own, owns up to their role. Sherry Cole, like, kind of says, no, I've been, you know, a little much. I've started, like, I'm not giving up on my art, but I'm going to take up some shifts at the at my family restaurant or whatever. And it's like, great, cool. 
at no point in the movie prior to this did you have character development. You're then off screen and you come back and go, oh, no, I'm going to take up a couple shifts at a job. And she never apologizes to Stephanie Sue for showing her bits to the world. (laughs) Yep, and ruining potentially her whole life and career. And they all become friends and go to Paris and get bored by art and want to go sleep with people. Yep. And it's like, okay, sure. Whatever. But, yeah. So what would you rate it? I... I'm going to try and be objective. This is a raunchy comedy. It is not my type of movie. There are some pieces that I like in the casting and Sabrina Wu. I will give it a four. Yeah, I do like quite a few raunchy comedies. Like, I liked the Hangover movies. I like, you know, like, I like some. But this was just... I'll, I'll give it a five as well. Both of the movies this week, I'll give a five. Uh, yeah, that concludes our, concludes our thoughts on Joyride. Best friend trip. This is going to be iconic. You would like that? You do understand this is a work trip for me. Audrey, I got you. Look at me. You're thinking about a dick. Damn it, you're right. All right. Thank you for listening to our podcast this week. Uh, make sure you follow us on Instagram and TikTok at Nerd and Normie. And tune in every Monday for a new episode. If you're listening on an audio platform, please give us a five-star review. And if you're watching or listening on YouTube, give us a like and subscribe. Thank you. Thank you. you.